Welcome to Dragon Talk, everyone! Yay! It is 2022! Hey! Happy New Year! (laughs) Happy New Year to you, Shelly Moo! Happy New Year to you, Greg Tito. We are so excited to be back on the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast for this new year. We've got a lot of plans in store. I am Greg Tito, and Shelly Mazzanoble is here, and she's been working on lots of plans. Yeah. What? Not, not over the break. Uh, no. But what are you talking things, about? We've Tell got me. things rolling out. Oh, you, are you talking year. like work? Like work stuff? Like, like work stuff. Oh, yeah. so much good stuff. So much good stuff. Yeah. Plus our book, Dragon Talk. Greg, book it's officially coming. the release year of our book. It's the release year. Nine more months. <laughs> It's so exciting. We got electronic mails from our editors yesterday mm-hmm. as we're recording this. So we're very excited. They like it mostly. 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 Nah, she said, <laughs> uh, I give up. We'll just go with this draft. <laughs> Which I, I think that means she liked it, right? We are eternally going to be those uh, <laughs> bruised writers who are like, I think, I think it's okay. No. I think, I don't know. I'm actually surprisingly not. I'm just like, meh. There we go. It's there. I hope you like it. If you don't, I don't know what to tell you, which is quite shocking to me considering I have such a delicate ego when it comes to things like dungeon mastering. Right? Uh, I think yeah. it's something that uh, well, I've been trying to talk about dungeon mastering this whole time is that, you know, uh, perfect is the enemy of done. Yes. And that's very or true with, with DM prep. It's true with writing a book. It's true with making a movie. It's true with creating a podcast like this one. Right. You're right. Yeah. It's the enemy of 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 doing. Of doing. Because if you think it has to be perfect, you'll just never even start it. So just, yeah. just do it. Or That's, you, you know be- what? I'm not a resolution person, Greg. Me neither. But I think I'm going to just have that in the back of my mind for 2022. Get stuff done. Yeah. I was going to use another word there, but. I think instead you know what I'm of trying to say. instead of stuff, <laughs> instead of stuff, there instead was going to be another stuff. S word. Uh, but speaking of S words, I don't know if that's, mm. that's this is not one of my best Story segues, but that's an S word. Segway. Aliza uh, Pearl is joining the podcast today. We yes. uh, had a great time talking to her in December uh, last year, um, but this is when we'll be presenting her interview. Great stuff uh, from her. Always creative and always uh, doing uh, tabletop RPG shows. Uh, you may have seen her uh, play as a Klingon in uh, some Star Trek Adventures games. Uh, she also appears on the Gax Pack, a show from our friends at Gary Con and Dungeon Mastered by Jason Charles Miller. So she's doing great stuff on there. And uh, I can't wait for you to hear that interview. Yep, she had lots of of wonderful insights, lots of great things to say, and a fellow Trekkie like you, Greg. So exactly. I know that you already had that very special bond. We uh we already talked on on that podcast on Reengage uh, in the uh, second season, one of my favorite episodes so far. Uh, that's all about Q and Guinan. For those of you who are Star Trek fans, take a look at that on the Reengage feed to hear more from Elisa Pearl. Um, but we also have a really special guest coming on uh, for a How to DM segment, right? Oh, total friend of the pod. You know him and love him. It's Teos. Um, 
Abadia, and um, I just love them. We're going to talk a little bit about magic items. Um, kind of, you know, for a new dungeon master, a tricky one because uh, you either forget that they exist, <laughs> like I did, or uh, you overpower your party by giving them way too many. And I think we even talk about this, but um, remember our the the wonderful guest Ethan Holtz, the uh, mm. the, the child. He had a very uh, fun way of dealing with an overpowered party that we we reference um, as well. But nice, yeah, magic items. What what do you do? How many are too many? It's you know kind of like. Uh, cookies and pokemon cards in our house did i have we overdone it with how much we're giving out here <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe pull back a little bit should we maybe pull it back <laughs> introduce a rust monster to uh, destroy some of those cookies before they get consumed yeah yeah i hear that well that's exciting stuff um and i think we should just get right to it what do you think oh heck yeah let's do it all right, let's listen to Teo's, otherwise known as Alpha Stream, Flumpf Lover Extraordinaire. Yeah. Welcome to How to Be a DM, and I again have a wonderful returning guest. You're officially my most returning guest for this segment. It is Teo's Abadia. I am the Wolfgang Bauer of How to DM. You're the Wolfgang. Yeah, like you're on your way to getting a non-existent jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I am very excited about this. Uh, I This jacket is going to look great on me. Yes, it looks great on everyone. Form. Yep. Thank you, Shelly. It is a pleasure to be here with a uh, accomplished DM like yourself. Um, okay, I'm just going to let that roll. Yeah, it's yeah. just yeah, totally accomplished. Um, speaking of accomplished dungeon masters like myself, um, yeah. one of the best things about being a dungeon master is rewarding your players with yes. things like magic items. So many questions about magic items, tales. Like so many questions, and yeah. what I've heard through and through from other dungeon masters is they typically say, "I forgot." To give my players. <laughs> I have heard at least one Dungeon Master say that recently on a Dragon Talk episode. Perhaps. I'm not going to name I, names. I, that poor yeah. girl, she was nervous and new and may have just forgot that part. Um, I've also heard Dungeon Masters say they have given out too many magic items mm. and they have overpowered their party. Um, and just a little bit of confusion about when you're supposed to do that and what yeah. they should be and also have heard from players that are like we want all the magic items and <laughs> like how do you balance that as a, I feel like it's probably a lot like being a parent like I want to give you everything but you have to earn it <laughs> and you have to build some character before you can carry around that really cool masterwork that, sword that's exactly right Shelly <laughs> you are, you are on it is just like being a parent in fact we're going to compare magic items to holiday shopping. Oh. It's a lot like that. Um, all right, so first, you're not alone in this. This is a very normal thing because we can sort of just, especially if we're running published adventures, we might never see how the, the actual rules work until we look in the Dungeon Master's Guide or Xanathar's. Those are your two places that can tell you how to, how to do this. Okay. And in the DMG, the first thing it says is, hey, this is really up to you. In fact, 
it's up to you because you may want a certain tone for your campaign. Like you may want it to feel kind of gritty or scrappy, or you may want to, it to feel very super heroic fantasy with lots of cool magic items. Like that's up to you. And, and it's good to think about what kind of campaign you're going to run and then tweak over time so that you're staying on that track and you get that feel in the right way. And both can be fun. And when we tend to be younger, we tend to give out too much. <laughs> Usually as we get older, we yeah. tend to bring that down a bit. And the way it works in the Dungeon Master's Guide is that there are tables for chances at treasure. And what we're told is, hey, if you're fighting some individual goblins, then we use the individual tables. And if it's a bunch of them that this is like their base, then we use what's called a horde. And there are tables for a horde. And the tables are based on the CR or challenge rating of the creature. So how hard the foe is and whether they're individual or horde, that tells us what table to roll on. And then we just see what happens. And that's one way to do it. Uh, A horde of magic items? Yeah. So think of it like a dragon's horde. You know how the dragon's sitting on a pile? So it can be a dragon's horde. It can be like the goblins. If this is like, you know, if we're meeting three goblins on a trail, that's individual right? Three individuals. But if this is their lair where they've been putting the loot that they get from the wagons that they waylay, then that's a horde. And we're going to, we can take that horde and put it in one room or spread it across various rooms in that uh, area. But, but that's now a horde. Oh my so those gosh. are kind of the Dungeon Master's Guide's rules where it's either individual or horde. And there are some really smart people out there like David Hartledge, and Andy Perlman, who've broken down these numbers to sort of figure out what it all means. Gold is not a great formula, but you can look at the math, and basically at levels one and two, every character is getting about 94 gold in each of those levels. So around 94 gold at levels one, then level two, another 94 gold. Uh, Level three is 190, four is 280, and then it climbs. Like levels five to 10 are 3,400 gold per character per level. Stop it. That's actually lower than previous editions by a big amount. Really? Why does it seem so high? It is pretty high, um, and it need not be that high, but that is what the math of the game dictates, which is why it's great to have some reasons for characters to spend gold. Things like the franchise rules from Acquisitions Incorporated or you know, paying fees for various things, uh, buying land, all that kind of thing. Good ways to use up gold are, are important. Um, but yeah, it's pretty high. So what that generally tells me is I don't worry too much about gold because you can go pretty high with these kinds of numbers. And so if you're just giving out gold without rolling on the tables, you know, you can use those numbers that you can find on dmdavid.com. If you search for treasure, it's like the third article, and it'll give you that table of what all the gold is. Um, so that's if you want to give out gold just directly. And magic, they've also broken down the numbers for that. And where it comes out to be is that for every level of play, each character will gain on average one good consumable item, like a potion of heroism, something that you would use up in combat, you know, a one-shot thing that would be pretty cool, a neat scroll, uh, a neat potion. And then once per four levels, characters will find a permanent good magic item, you know, a magic rapier, a cloak that helps your, you know, saves, something like that. So you said once per what? Four levels? Per four levels. Okay. And that's in across the party, you know, that's happening on every character, right? So like maybe... 
at first level, one character gets a plus one sword, and at second level, another player gets a magic cloak that, you know, bumps up their saving throws, and then the monk at level three is getting, you know, so if you think of it kind of uh, across the party like that, right, it, there's a number of magic items that are happening, and those are the, the strong magic items. Beyond yeah. that can be sort of just fun little things that are happening, right, like... um you might have uh, boots of striding and springing, right? Which are just fun items to move faster and do neat things, right? But they're so, not game-breaking oh, or they're not too powerful. Yeah, because that's... So when you said... I'm going back to the yeah. one per four levels, but yeah. you mean like per character? Yeah, so each character is basically in every four levels getting something really cool. Something that's use that they would say, this is cool, this is yeah. useful. All right. You know, I've got a, a frost blade weapon, right? Like that's awesome. So cool. And they feel good. And then you have other minor things that are neat. Uh, yeah. like, you know, it's important in magic items to stop and think about like what is it that makes characters happy? Because a plus one weapon will make a player happy because it's like dependable. It's just right. stats. But it's not necessarily exciting. An alchemy jug can be hours of fun for the whole party. It's, it's sort of <laughs> absurd how much fun an alchemy jug can be, even though what it does is not necessarily powerful at all. But it can create situational benefits. They can come up with clever ways to do it. Or they just might, like in my campaign, have a goblin character that decides he wakes up every morning and makes it create mayonnaise so he can eat it. Okay. And endless role-playing ensues. I mean... We had so much mileage out of our alchemy jug, so so it's important to also grant little, you know, fun, silly things like that. Yeah, and I, I mean, then you you can reward the players more frequently without yeah. totally breaking the game. Yeah, and if you want another system, so you know, DMG is sort of like roll, roll on these tables, just see what you get. And what DM David and Andy Perlman and others have done is break that down into what's that mean? Well, on average, it means one cool thing every four levels, one cool consumable every level. But another way to do it is to look at Xanathar's. And what that does is it gives you tables for the different rarities you're expected to give out if what you want to do is just give things out. Um, and if so, if you go to Xanathar's, you'll see a table and it'll tell you, for example, that at levels one to four, you'll get nine minor items and two major items. And it tells you what those mean. There's certain tables in the DMG. So you can just go shopping. This is where we get into our holiday shopping Here spree. Here we go. We can open up the DMG. We can look at the tables that are equated with minor items. And we can pick nine of them and just say, hey, we're going to give these out every now and then. And then we can look at two major items and give those out. And those go to the party. So it's not per character, this is per party. So we're just kind of giving those out as we want. And what it suggests in Xanathar's is you do it as a sort of checklist. Like as something is given out, you just mark that off. Like, all right, I gave out one major item. I've got one left before we reach the end of fourth level. So it's just kind of like your shopping list and you just slowly dole idea. it out. Yeah, see, that, that seems like a better system for me. For, you know, I mean, for people who forget yeah. to give them out. Um, what was I just going to ask about this? I don't remember. I had a good question about... Um, I'll ask a different question. Oh no, I do. Have, I, I remember. Yeah. Um, when you're, do you already know the magic items you're going to be giving out at the beginning of your adventure, at your be the beginning of your campaign, or do they come up spontaneously? Like, oh, depending on the yeah. story, like this would be a good time to give them this. 
I like to do a bit of both. Um, so I don't like to over plan it. But what I would probably do is let's say that I know that in my campaign, um, they're going to, you know, investigate the goblin caves and then they're going to go find um, the lair of the, an ancient temple that's plagued by undead. I know those are the two areas that we're first going to go through in the campaign. So I might seed some of my magic items from my checklist into those spots, right? And I already have in mind, all right, in, in the ancient temple, uh, you know, sepulchers, that's where they'll find this holy, you know, this, this sword that uh, does some, agent, some extra radiant damage or something fun like that, or, or it's a holy symbol that, you know, can cure you once a day. So I might put that in there. Uh, because that's just gonna that that seems like it fits right, and so now I have some amount of my checklist used up, but I like to keep a few in reserve so that I can see sort of what the players really need or want and what would help them out. Okay, and that I and, think helps. Well, okay, what what would happen yeah. if you hide the magic item in the temple, but they don't find it? <laughs> you put it somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> just, it just keeps following them. Yeah, I mean, that's generally what I'll do. I mean, sometimes it's fun to to rub it in, in their face. So, like, there was a um, a time that they, my friends in, in this campaign, they took out a dragon, and it was a big deal. Um, and the NPC did what they should do, which they knew this NPC well. And the NPC said, hey, and I get to keep all this stuff, right? And they're like, ah, you can keep that side of the room. And on that side of the room was oh, like no. a really cool shield that one of them would have wanted. And it did all these neat things. So every now and then I would just remind them of the neat things that the shield would be doing right now. Oh, my God. You didn't. Oh, yeah. The I love torturing like players. And they would roll their eyes and go like, oh, why did <laughs> you just say take the left side of the room? <sighs> you know? um, so, you know, that's fun. But other times I just sort of move it somewhere else. Right. Or, or, or choose a different item that fits better into whatever the new place is. Um, and what you can do when you're doing this kind of like a checklist system is you can compare that against what your players want. Now, some people, they actually like to, some DMs like to say to their players, tell me what you'd like. Okay. But it's a bit like asking your kids what they want for Christmas. They might say, I'd want the $1,600 Drizzdord and full-size statue that, you know, WizKids sells. And you go, wow, that's a bit pricey. <laughs> uh, hmm. You know, I don't want to disappoint you now when I buy you the two-inch size right. Jordan and figurine. And, and it's the same way with characters. Like, they might say, well, I'd like really like a Vorpal Blade. And you're like, uh, plus one weapon? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to disappoint them. So I'm always a little hesitant to ask. And I will usually only ask in sort of broad terms. Like, I might say, tell me what's more important to your bard. Is it offense or defense? Right, and okay. and then they might give me a clue as to where they want their capabilities to increase, and That's I can help idea. do that with magic. Right. That's a really good idea. Um, and yeah, and, and then thanks. And so hopefully that helps us shop better. Right, it gives us a better holiday gift the next time that we give out that treasure. It's a little more on point for what they need. Um, it's probably worth touching really quickly on cursed items. Yeah, 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 for sure. So this is a classic kind of thing. And when we played back when I was young uh, in high school, it, we would laugh hilariously when you did something like pick up a backbiter spear that when you went and attacked, it would attack you. It would curl over your back and just attack you. Uh. And we'd laugh hilariously, but now you're cursed and you can't drop that spear. Ugh. And it's like you're kind of unplayable. You're just going to kill yourself in combat. And, and 
we would come up with creative things to do, but it was sort of bad. You know, after a while, it just wasn't funny anymore. And so an important thing with cursed items is think, think about, you know, how is this going to play out over time? And is this actually funny? And ideally, we want it to be a fun curse. And a fun curse is one that is a drawback, but it still allows you to function and hopefully makes the experience richer, right? Maybe it offers choices or role-playing opportunities. So some examples. Uh, it adds a personality trait. For example, it causes you to be loud and opinionated, <laughs> right? Yes. Or you love celebrations. You think okay. everything should be festive, right? Um, or maybe you like super revere your deity now and you've got to tell everybody about it. And those are the kind of things that players can often get behind, right? And, yeah. and everybody knows it's because of the cursed item, but, but it's sort of this funny thing, right? It adds to it. Um, you might also have a drawback that only happens every now and then. So maybe when you roll a one on a skill check and you can think of what the effect should be. So like imagine you've got these like cursed boots and whenever you roll a one, it's, you, know, you, you are forced to explain to everybody what happened and, and why you know, it wasn't you, like you know, what happens. Like, you have to explain it away. Yeah. And do so loudly. So like if you're sneaking into an enemy, enemy fortress, oh this would give it away, right? Um, but that kind of thing. So it's clearly a drawback, but it's funny. It's probably going to be enjoyable. It has repercussions, right? Um, you can do minor things like I've got to seek the high ground in combat. Oh. Right? So these kinds of things are the kinds of curses that I prefer or like um, uh, one that I designed for Dwarven Forge in their free adventures was um, a weapon that thirsts for blood. And so it really wants you to kill and finish off creatures. So if you attack a target at maximum hit points, when you could move to another one that is wounded, you're at disadvantage because it wants you to finish off. It wants that killing blow. So that's the, the, the curse gives you choices, right? Because if you really want to go against, say, the enemy wizard, but the wizard's at full hit points, you'll be at disadvantage. So what do you do, right? And that's, you get that choice. You have the power of choosing. You can avoid the disadvantage, but you, you must make that choice. How do you reveal to players that an item is cursed? Do you tell them before they put the boots on? Or is there, they just (laughs) run cool, shiny boots, they put them on and then they find out? Yeah, and, and, you know, it sort of depends. I I think per the rules, what happens is when you attune to it, it becomes a curse. It reveals what the item is and your curse, and it's cursed. And um, you... um, you now need to remove cursed spell to get rid of it. What I would probably do is the moment you you use it in some way, it becomes yours. You, you know, you, you're it. Tag, um, and I would not let a remove curse get rid of it. Sort of like the rules that you all put in in uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. It has new guidance on curses and really interesting curses that you sort of get. Um, you have to do something to get rid of it. That's what I would probably do here, right? That it's not just cast, remove, curse. Maybe that temporarily helps you, you know, for a few days or a week. But to really get rid of it, maybe you have to do something like make a great sacrifice. Uh, maybe you have to defend a villain um, or something else, right? You'd come up with some condition, lay the bones of the original owner to rest, something like that. So it becomes part of the story of your campaign. Something that you could get done within a few sessions if you want to, depending on the nature of the cursed item. If it's really bad, you want to f- get rid of it fairly quickly and just be a neat story. You know? Yeah. Oh, that sounds really, really fun. <laughs> All right. So now, can I tell you my thoughts on how to yes. make magic items 
super cool for your characters. Yes, please. All right. <laughs> so this is the idea that I call an evolving signature magic item. Oh. So it's doing two things. One is the idea of a signature item, meaning that your character is known for it or it's key to your character. Okay. And the second thing is it's going to grow with you. And what the point of this is often when we give characters stuff, like we might give them a you know, plus one short sword, and then two adventures later they get a frost brand. And so now the plus one just gets thrown away. Um, and maybe we end up even with a golf bag of weapons, you know, or just so many items that we're almost like can't track them, right? So the idea is instead of having all these different items, let's bring them together into the form of one weapon. And the, the additional magic items, if you think of that Xanathar's checklist, instead of like you got this and you get this and you get this, you get one thing that gains benefits. And I'll give you some examples from my uh, campaign. And, and, and I want to start with the idea that like there are some magic items in D&D that are so cool and they do almost nothing. Like one of my favorites is the Cloak of Billowing. <laughs> so this is a common magic item and as a bonus action, you can make it billow dramatically. Yes, if you want to be like on the cover of a romance novel. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, who doesn't? Right. And uh, we all have goals. Uh, so, you know, this is such a neat thing. Well, okay, what if, you know, you've got your level one characters and they're going through this, you know, tomb or whatever and they find this cloak of billowing, right? And for a character that maybe is like a bard or some sort of flashy type like that, this would be a great item to grow into a signature weapon. And what we would do is then evolve it over time. So we start with something that we think will be key to the character. A wizard, uh, a perfect choice is a tome. It could also be a staff, but maybe like a tome filled with secrets. And when they first find it, they sense its power, but when they read it, they can't understand any of it, or maybe only a few words. And they know they'll have to work at it to unravel its secrets. Um, a sneaky rogue might love a cloak or a sword. Something like that could be a signature item. A daring swashbuckler may prefer a rapier over an instrument. A barbarian, maybe it's like a cool belt, you know, like you won the WWE. Yes. Um, a, maybe something that provides a connection to their ancestors. A paladin, it could be an intelligent weapon that acts like a tutor or a spiritual guide. Right. So we want to think of like what the concept is that would appeal to the character. We can always dump it if it's not working and choose something else. But once we choose it, we then give it some cool and enigmatic qualities. And this is a good time to mention that the DMG has a bunch of tables filled with cool characteristics for magic items. Okay. So it's stuff like um, maybe like it always drips water, <laughs> right? Like it, it, you know, it's always you know, wet because it's from the sea. Um, and in fact, a version that I did in a campaign of mine in my, my Tomb of Annihilation campaign was a barnacle-covered halberd with a hilt made of seaweed and beads of coral and aquamarine trailing from it. Whoa. And its simple feature when they first found this weapon was that it could be used underwater without any penalty. Oh. And this character already used a halberd, so I knew it would be something they'd dig. And they were yeah. priests of pirates. They were sort of a pirate-themed priest. So I knew this would work, Right. We're crossing off kind of a couple of things of what they'd like. It's the type of weapon they like. Um, they're all about attacking. They were like a Tempest cleric. And then we have this water piratey kind of theme. Perfect, right? Um, or maybe a druid that gets dragon hide armor and it has the glamoured property so you can make it look like any other type of clothing or armor. And that could be your initial state, right? Um, 
I had a Beastmaster Ranger in my campaign, and so he found a harness on a uh, Sahuagin, and when he put it on, it had all these like belts and tools and pockets for stuff, um, and it had been worn by somebody who had a bunch of aquatic beasts under his command, and it had all these insignia of beasts, and so over time, we developed that. So, all right, so we start with this very basic thing, something that the character will like that, will, that could potentially be a signature item, and we can add to it uh, sort of interesting quirks and features like that, like the cloak of billowing, uh, minor properties, and then we can add like a story or lore maybe, right? Things like there are those weird symbols on it or what, what is the language that this wizard's tome is written in? Something that, that gives us the reason to unravel it over time and add more to it over time. Then, when it's time to award a magic item, instead of just giving them another magic item, we unlock a part of this item. And a cool okay. way to do that is to give your character, your player a handout for their character to have that says what it does and uses some sort of term that lets it know, like, this is the Tome of Shadow first stage, right? Or first evolution or okay. other so words like that. Okay, they know there's right? more to come. So now they okay. know, they're like, oh, this is just the first stage. I got to okay. get to stage two, right? And so that also makes them interesting. And so, for example, the seaweed halberd that I mentioned earlier it got the ability uh, to shoot out lightning, like in a staff of thunder and lightning. Oh my gosh. So it wasn't as powerful as the full staff, but it gained that power from the staff. And so now it was equivalent, basically like getting an uncommon magic item. right? So they sort of had a common item and an uncommon item all in one. Later, it got a plus one bonus to attack and damage. So now it's like two uncommon items and a common item. You see what we're doing here? We're just yes. taking that checklist and we're putting it all in one bundle so that it feels really story rich. Uh, the Dragonhide armor granted an ability once per day similar to a potion of fire breathing, right? Or dragon breath. So, you know, now that's kind of neat. And over time, we could do things like enhance your wild shape or whatever. And what it allows us to do is we can really tweak the dials on this where we can see what the character needs and what they would like to have, and then we can grant benefits to this. And in and around this, we can give them some more consumables and other fun things, but this is our main place where we're putting our, our magic items uh, to use. And then, so over the court, like in real time, say, yeah. what, like, what are we talking when a magic item is discovered to when it reaches its full potential? How much time has passed? Yeah, so you know, there are a couple ways you could, well, uh, so it depends. Um, we can use the guidance. We can do whatever feels right for a campaign. We mm -hmm. can use the guidance for the DMG. So one way we could do it, right, is if we were using the DMG and we said, okay, now we're fighting another, you know, we're doing the, the uh, ancient temple. That's basically a horde. I'm going to roll on the horde. Hey, here's the item I got. I'm going to apply that to the dragonhide armor. Like you could do it randomly, right? I'm going to take that feature I just rolled on the table and I'm going to yeah. give it to the druid's armor. Or, uh, oh, that's a spell scroll? Well, that's going to be inside of the wizard's tome. So you could do it using the DMG rules for magic. Or I could use the Xanathar's checklist and I could say, okay, you know, we're going to explore these ruins and I'm going to have these two magic items on there. But what I'll do is I'll enhance the halberd and the Beastmaster's harness. And that'll be an uncommon item and a you know, rare item. 
And I can just check those off my Xanathar's list and apply them to those specific items the players have so that the signature item gets more awesome over time and the player feels like I have this really cool signature thing that I'm known for. That no one else has. That's right. Yeah, it's totally unique, right? And, and the more we dig into that uniqueness, the better, right? Like what, a question with the dragon hide armor is like, well, who was this dragon that the armor is made out of? Why does it whisper to me every now and then? <laughs> I love that right? so much. Um, and, and yeah, and so it can be fun and we can combine things. Like uh, It can even result from play. Like I had a player in the Tomb of Annihilation campaign. He went up against a very powerful demigoddess that had uh, a weapon that cut off his leg. Oh, jeez. And he remembered, hey, we met these dwarves that work adamantine. Could they, like, make me an adamantine leg? And yes, of course we can. And <laughs> the dwarves said, if you were to put some sort of magic item in that, it would really leg? enhance it. And he's like, okay, here's my wand of wonder. <laughs> Which in I couldn't believe leg? the player agreed to this, right? So now what would happen is if he rolled a 20... Or if someone attacking him rolled a 20, we would then roll on the Wand of Wonder table because the adamantine leg had activated in some quirky way based on this wand being inside his leg, right? And, and over time, the leg developed various benefits in a, as a signature weapon because it was it. just sort of too funny not to, right? And <laughs> Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. amazing. That's and so there cool. Are, there are a number of, of, of folks who have taken attempts at uh, this idea of weapons that grow with you or you know, involve in some way. Um, our good friend Rich Lescaflair, amazing designer, he created Armaments of Legacy, which is on the DMs Guild. Matt Vaughn created Ancestral Weapons, which is always in the top solo list there. These all have sort of different ways of going about this idea. Um, and then even Mythic Odysseys of Theros, that book, has artifacts which gain things based on sort of a score uh, tied to the Theros campaign, and they evolve over time as well. So you can you know mine those for ideas as well and adjust the technique I've talked about. This is really cool stuff, and just reinforces why you're a really good dungeon master. This is all very very thoughtful. Well, thank you. It, you know what it always comes down to is the DMs we've played under, right? Because we stand on the shoulders of giants and those yes. DMs teach us how to do things and they we walk absorb so we all that run. knowledge. Exactly. And yes, and from. now all of the Dungeon Masters listening can absorb all of your knowledge too. Yay! So thank <laughs> you for sharing that with us. My pleasure, Shelley. Um, and if people are so inspired to learn more about you and, and everything that you're doing, all the cool stuff that you're involved in, where is the best place for them to find out more? Thank you, Shelley. They can find me on alphastream.org. That's my site where I publish articles, news, and tips, and I'll probably write up these rules and put them there as well. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter, at alphastream. Uh, I have material for sale on the DMs Guild and drive through, and you can find me on YouTube as well. Amazing. Doing so much for the TRPG community. We appreciate it. <laughs> it's so much fun. Thanks, <laughs> Shelly, for all You're you the do. the best. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll catch you again on here. I hope so. I mean, got to keep Wolfgang you know, a little worried. Got to keep him on his toes. He's getting a little complacent in that role. <laughs> <laughs> Only 20 episodes to go. <laughs> Thank you, Tails. Bye, Shelly. Bye.
I love Teos. He's got so many creative ideas, and I hope that you will be adding magic items to your uh, playing of the game with your neighbors and with Quinn, and mm-hmm. hopefully use ones that are interesting, that give you interesting powers uh, rather than overpowering plus ones and stuff, right? Like, that's the fun thing is giving them fly or, uh, you know, the ability to do something fun in, in combat. Yes, like something you wouldn't normally get to do. And how fun is it to discover a magic item? Like, that's yeah. just the coolest. It Tis is the cool. season for magic item giving. It's <laughs> that's really what always. the season is. It's, it's magic always. item giving season here it's in always the season. January 2022. Mm-hmm. Exciting stuff. Uh, oh, jeez. Uh, what what my, happened? That was puppy. <laughs> my dog just came out of nowhere. <laughs> I have my head. I can't hear. I didn't hear him get off the bed. And then he just, like, came under the desk and, like, nudged me and... (gasps) Did you notice he has this very hoarse little bark now? He does have a I don't know what happened to him. When we came back from from break, he's like, harf, harf, harf. Did you just spend two weeks smoking cigarettes? What are you doing? (laughs) What's wrong, puppy? Wait, was he playing poker with some other dogs? (laughs) Oh, have you seen his picture floating around? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Whoopie. well, I think let's uh, let's get on the horn with Aliza Pearl and ask her all about her fun stuff that's going on. All right. Doing it. Everyone, let's welcome Aliza Pearl to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Thank you. Woohoo! <laughs> so excited to finally yeah. get to talk to you here on Dragon Talk. I feel like I've seen your just presence in the the, yes. the, the, the TRPG D&D world for so long. You've been uh, working it. <laughs> it's been a, yeah, it's been a little while. <laughs> 2017 yeah. is when I officially kind of dove into this world and literally have not stopped. <laughs> I got to hear um, about that. What happened in 2017 that well, got you into this world? Okay, so in 2017, I um, had been doing for two years an improvised Star Trek show on stage in L.A. We had started that in 2015. So a lot of people, like, knew me because of that. I have also a lot of improv friends who knew I was doing Star Trek stuff. And so a good friend of mine, Hector Navarro, was being cast in a Geek and Sundry Star Trek TTRPG live play called Shield of Tomorrow. And he, they, I think they were looking for another player. He referred me because he knew about my Star Trek background and my improv background and those two things together and separately. Kind of perfect. And, yeah. So, so he, um, I got brought in for an interview with Eric Campbell, who's the GM of the game. And I got hired. I got cast to play in that, in that game. And we played for a year every week. So I was literally, I had played D&D maybe once before that. (laughs) Like, I just was thrown into TTRPGs in 2017, and I became obsessed with it very immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Because it combines that, like, you know, nerdosity of loving sci-fi and fantasy with the improv. With the improv, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I was I was actually shocked that I hadn't I didn't even really under I didn't hadn't heard of D&D until I was like well into adulthood like probably mm. in my late 20s and I I don't know why but I just it was not on my radar growing up I didn't know anything about it I was a huge sci-fi fan I was super into also like high fantasy and magic and I just I don't know how I I totally missed the boat as a kid with D&D 
And I kind of lament that. I'm not, I'm going to be honest. I am like, oh, God, what if I had been able to play D&D as like a 12-year-old? That would have been so awesome. I but, lament that too. I have that same yeah. conversation because I didn't discover D&D until I started working for the company that published it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still a little bit bitter that nobody introduced me what? to it. As how did we? <laughs> yeah. How did we just like not know? <laughs> I don't know. It's I so guess, great. <laughs> for me, and I, I assume, I, I think I'm probably quite a bit older than you but it was like very much for boys when Mm. I was growing up and Mm. I just think like there wasn't even probably an adult that would have made an assumption that I would be into it like they would just be like no like you yeah even though like all of the things that people like about D&D the storytelling the imagination the improv like creating characters I did all of those things I loved all of those things but it was so far out of my orbit and my brother wasn't into it either otherwise you know i would have been exposed to it that way but yeah. nope i'm a, apparently a hockey fan because my brother's yeah. a hockey fan and wait um, where so. are you from because i also have hockey in my family oh i'm upstate new york i'm from new jersey okay this explains a lot now okay yeah. so you would <laughs> yeah. are you a devils fan i played youth hockey for the devils youth uh, yeah, wow. the youth teams. You played? Yes, oh. I played ice hockey. I still have my jerseys from like the late 90s. <laughs> oh my God. I still have my equipment actually. That sounds really? very D&D like. I, right? We were the devils. <laughs> the devils. Yeah, yeah exactly. it would be the demons, I think, in D&D. Or, the, or even like the tieflings, maybe. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? Yeah, that would be. Yeah, that's fair. I never could um, skate, so. I was mm-hmm. very good at like, like street hockey. Um, if I could just wear my sneakers and run around, there I had a, a mean yeah. slap shot. But um, nice. But yeah, I could never do, never, never could skate. Mm-hmm. So right. My career was cut short. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, all that well, stuff your street hockey career, it sounds like. It's it's it could still off. be going. Flourished. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, all that stuff about you were just saying about like creating characters and making stuff. I mean, I, I'm watching my girls play with dolls and stuffies and things like that, things that I used to mm-hmm. do. And I'm like, there's, 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 it really is a universal thing. I, and, I, and I'm so glad that now with the rise of streaming and video and being able to see other people play games like, like, like D&D, like that has expanded you know to the two of you but also to so many other people in the audience mm-hmm. absolutely and it's there's nothing about it that's gender specific like yeah. right all of us as little kids have playtime and make believe and invisible friends imaginary friends and all oh, of that yeah. so it yeah it's wild to me not only that i missed the boat as a kid on D, but also that it was so considered like a boy's thing Mm. It's it's it kind of bewilders me. I don't. I really don't get how it it became that way. It's stuff like chess. I mean, if you watch like Queen's Gambit and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like there was this like kind of war gaming strategy mm. bent to it. You know where it came from. That's um, yeah. That's so true. that's my theory. And then it just mm-hmm. it took three decades for us to be like, you know what, we 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 can make this more universal for for so many other uh, people out there. Yeah. Um, and, and then, but also like shout out to because there of course there have been women and people of color and minorities since the beginnings of the game, absolutely. but it was just hard for them to be in the space, right? <laughs> and there were not many of them. So just shout out to to those folks who I think paved the way for people like me to be able to come in and at like kind of a later stage, but um, also just 
glom onto this all this like delicious storytelling, gaming, role playing goodness. Yeah, absolutely. And and then shout out to people uh, like yourself and many others who are now playing in these live streams and and out there and visible because that's you know very important for the younger audiences, especially to be growing up and seeing like this game is for me because there's people just like me who are playing it absolutely and thank you for that yeah totally yeah so you started as a player in in in, mm -hmm. uh the shield of tomorrow uh which i've never been i've never been able to play a star trek game i really do want to which is shocking to me, Greg, because that's yeah. like all of your worlds colliding. It really uh-huh. does. Um, but then you went on to to do more storytelling and dungeon mastering too, right? So, mm-hmm. how, when, what was that transition like, going from player to, to dungeon master? Yeah. So, so yeah, twenty seventeen, I spent a year playing Star Trek uh, at Geek and Sundry, and then twenty eighteen, we shifted to playing a superhero story that was in the Cipher system with mm. same group, same cast, but like we just changed it up, played a different system. And then also that year, Geek and Sundry, they invited me to game master a six shot of uh, a kaleidoscopic fantasy game called Overlight. And it was like, it had been kickstarted, I think the year before it had, it was like just about to come out and they wanted to do a campaign for it. And so I said, yes, Um, because I had been, you know, sitting at the table for a year as a player, loving it, soaking it in, just really just absorbing a lot. And I was like, I think I, I think I'm going to try being a game master. I think maybe I could be decent at it because I have lots of ideas and I like the idea of being a person who can kind of like usher people through an experience and also bring out the best in them and their characters and making sure they have fun. Um, and just showcasing like their characters and, and their skills. I, it's something really appealed to me about that. And it's, what's funny is like my mom and my sister and a lot of other aunts and cousins are all educators and teachers. Mm. And I was the one who wasn't. I was like the only female for a while who just was like, nah, I'm not a teacher. And I've taught, I've tutored and all that stuff. And I was like, I just I'm not into education. And in a way, this is kind of a similar role. You are kind of like, you're not the teacher, but you are kind of like uh, guiding people through an experience and you're there to help them, to cater to them in a lot of ways. Um, And also to help bring the group together and bring cohesiveness. So I think I kind of ended up in that place, but on my own terms, in my own way. (laughs) In you all along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But you're you're right. There is a a lot of similarities between an educator role and a game master role, and a lot of mm-hmm. what you just said. But also, like, a you know, a teacher has to be you know in charge of twenty five or more children or or uh, young adults, and having to like play to the room and understand people, everyone's mm-hmm. different strengths and exactly. weaknesses, and making sure yeah. everybody feels heard and seen. And those, exactly. So it yeah. it really was in you, and that is probably you know your it's in you, it's in your blood, which is what yeah. makes you a great game master as well. <laughs> my yeah, daughter was, was just sorry. Yeah, my daughter was just telling me about a, a thing that they were doing at school where they were learning about colonial times and like oh here's they set up different stations about like oh this is the where the the uh, shoe repair is and where the blacksmith is and where the church is. And they got roles. They actually drew roles out oh, of a hat, cool. and they were playing those roles. And I was like, "Okay, so you were basically playing D anD D during yeah. school?" And they're like, "Yeah, that's I guess so we dope. were." And I was like, "That's and that's where those two things come together." Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. 
Uh, and so, so yeah, so I, yeah, so I ran that six shot, uh, and that was super fun. Oh God, I loved doing it. And it just really solidified for me that I, yeah, I was like, oh, I just love this. I loved playing, but I also really loved running games too. And so I just dove into it more. Um, I had watched a little bit of Critical Critical Role and, you know, we would pass each other in the hallways at Geek and Sundry, like all of that, that era of TTRPG-ness that came out of Geek and Sundry was there for inspiration um, for me. And so I I knew I wanted to run D&D eventually, and I had been playing it here and there, but I was not, I was intimidated, to be honest. Like, I was a little fearful of becoming a dungeon master specifically because it, it just felt like there's this, like, huge mass of material in history, and, and the property itself is so huge. It's a little, intim- it's a lot intimidating, <laughs> to be honest. And so... I didn't. I didn't run D D and D for a while. I just spent time running other types of games like Star Trek Adventures, and I ran the Klingon campaign, Blood of the Void, um, on my, with my group, the Streampunks. So I, I spent a lot of time kind of cooking as a, a game master, and also studying D and D and learning the rules and like reading, you know, the first, the starting three books, Monster Manual, Player's Guide, DM's Guide watching tons of YouTube channels. And I just was like, I literally did a little like year of D&D study before I started DMing. And and I even like turned down, I got invited to do D&D in a castle a couple of years ago. Oh, cool. And to run something. And I told them, I was like, I need another year. <laughs> like, I am not ready. <laughs> I haven't graduated yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I just need some time. Just hold on. Thank you. So, um... So yeah, so I'm cool. glad I did that because I feel, yeah, I feel much more confident now. I feel like I, I know the rules and I'm very immersed in it now. You ran your own little Dungeon Masters Academy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yes. and YouTube is amazing for that. Like mm-hmm. there's so there's... much D&D content. So what was your first experience like? Like how did you actually feel like, I am ready. I'm ready <laughs> to take this step. And then what was that first time like? I mean, I I don't remember the first time I dungeon mastered because I did a lot of little one shots here and there Mm -hmm. and I even like ran something for my niece and nephew like uh just a little tiny intro thing yeah so I don't remember like the first first time but I do the first campaign is the one that I'm running now and I literally just I had to say yes to it I got hired to run a weekly campaign um with this group called the, the cookout ttrpg um and they hired me to run this. It was like a BIPOC-led community, BIPOC, mostly BIPOC and queer table. And I was like, I just have to say yes to this. I was scared. I was like, am I ready to run it like a full campaign? <laughs> but it just felt like the right group of people at the right time. And I just yeah. had to say yes. And so now we've been playing since June. And we're on episode 22 coming up. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess when this airs, it will be like episode 23 or 4. <laughs> Which is a lot, right? That's a lot it of sessions, is. right? That's a way, you know, so yeah. I, I love your journey here because it definitely shows that like, look, you can you can absorb a lot of different things and then you still may not be ready, but something needs to kind of Got push it. you to yeah. do it. Right? I mean, like a mm-hmm. deadline, right? Or getting hired or having like, there's people depending on me to tell a story tonight. Yeah. Uh, let's do it. And I love when creativity comes that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually really am thankful that I got to play, and I still do like run other systems and play in other systems, but I think learning other systems while also learning D&D, it's almost like 
uh, languages. It's like you're mm. learning D and D to me. Five E feels like a language, and then when I'm running that, I'm kind of in that mode. But then when you're running like Call of Cthulhu, you're in that mode and your brain just switches into that different mode. And I think there are things to also be learned as a game master and a dungeon master between different types of games, between different systems. Mm. Like, the yeah, I, I think the way that a system is set up definitely can help guide the way you run it, obviously, but also like the the, the way the story moves forward. And that could be different from system to system. It's it's a lot like trying different foods, or or you know, mm-hmm. making sure you have a well-rounded um, syllabus if you're going to go back to you know to education, right? Like you right, need to be able right. to know what's out there so that you can pick and choose what makes the best at any right. given moment. Yep, totally. And you got that year-long period of of learning and absorbing all that to yeah. to know mm-hmm. what what works and what doesn't. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so now that you are dungeon mastering, what's the how, what's your approach to it now? What's how do how do you envision it when you're we're you know gonna sit down for for your session? Yeah, well, so for starting this campaign, definitely dove into like the characters' backstories. So like you know, looking at what my players brought me, who their characters are, where they're from, what are their goals, and all that stuff. Just getting that info from them, and then a couple of things like stepping back and seeing what's the bigger picture here like what is something that everyone's struggling with or what are things that make people juxtaposed to each other and with this campaign it turned out that there were some very clear themes um from their backstories which is like everyone had and i mean it's, in a lot of ways it's like um I don't want to say it's like typical for D&D characters but there was a lot of like oh I lost you know my family was killed or I lost a parent or I was adopted things like that like so there was a lot of like familial stuff just at, right at the top mm-hmm. and so I def- I definitely felt like our campaign was going to have a lot of family uh themes coming up and so I just started to look at those backstories and take you know figure out who's the big bad that is going to affect everyone and kind of pull on everyone's needs and wants and fears. And then once you establish that, then think about, okay, so now like where do they start? What's a good location? And all of that was p- picked from the characters' backstories. Um, they they brought me a lot of really great, rich, deep backstory stuff. So just kind of like mind that and then built the world out from there. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I uh I notoriously do a lot of research. <laughs> I kind of dive in and uh, into a hole and just like do a ton of research for my campaigns and sessions. Oh, that's really cool. Um yeah, it feels good to just like load my brain with a lot of information and ideas so that when I'm at the table, I know it's uh, it's up there somewhere and right. it'll be pulled out somehow. <laughs> but as long as it's up there. Yeah. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> it's like overpacking for a trip. Like you just, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to need it, but I want exactly. it. I want it with me. I do uh, need three bathing suits. Well, that actually you do. Yeah, like, that's valid. Oh, they really? takes a while for them to dry. And exactly. Clean, you know, come on. Mm-hmm. Who wants to put on a wetsuit? No I mean, one. You're going to jump in the water, right? Well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. So, was there anything that surprised you? about yourself as a dungeon master, like like your style or your philosophy or just like how you presented story and information? I think 
what surprises me is how much my improv helps me be a better game master and dungeon master. I I feel like all the studying I did absolutely helped, but I think I was I was so focused on knowing the rules really well that I didn't realize I already had the thing that was going to just make my like the the style that I am of dungeon master is probably really heavily because of my improv background and experience. Yeah. So I'm glad I took that extra year. Yeah. But I I probably could have started dungeon mastering sooner just based on, you know, knowing how story is laid out, knowing how to kind of have banter and have back and forth and and help people dive into their characters and figure out like, okay, this person is this type of person. So they need to meet a foil. They need to meet that person who's going to like pull this certain thing out of them and oppose them in a, in a special way. Um that's the stuff, yeah, that's the stuff I learned through improv, and it just shows up at my table all the time. What's, um, I mean, because I'm sure there's lots of people listening who may not have that tool set in their minds, but like what's uh, some kind of practical advice you might give for people who don't have an improv background but want to be able to, to yes and and pull out that stuff? Because I think that's, that's sometimes a secret sauce that's missing for, for dungeon masters who want a more mm-hmm. story-based yeah. uh, I think. Yeah, I think if you yeah, if you don't have an improv background or acting background even, I think when you watch anything, any like scripted story specifically, TV show, movie, whatever it is, I would say just think through like whenever there's a scene, maybe like pause it and think about what could happen next. If mm. I were in this scene telling this story and I was playing this character, what would I say or do next? What are some options? And then press play and see which one the writers chose. Was it one that you had guessed or was it one that you didn't think of? Because there's always a million different choices we can make in the moment. And writers have the luxury of, number one, they're usually writing on a team, you know, in a writer's room. So there's lots of different ideas from lots of different people. But then also they have the time to sit down and make those decisions and think which which would be the most impactful. And so the only difference as an improviser is that you're learning to do that on the fly and not have the time to make decisions. So if you can just like pause that story and improvise the next line or the next move and then press play and see just like practice, that's a way to practice improv without having an improv team or taking a (laughs) class. That's I love that. I've never heard that before of like trying to, pre- I mean, everybody kind of does predict where their show is going to go, but doing it on a scene-by-scene basis, that's really yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we already, as fans, we do that, right? We're like, well, I think that we have all of our conspiracy theory- theories and things like that. Right, shipping, all that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's another really good skill of a dungeon master or game master is to recognize where the story could go like to see like Mm -hmm. you never really know what the players might bring up or like like you were talking about some things like in that like they were all coming up with some cool backstories but even Mm -hmm. just like in the game like oh well I was gonna have this thing but I'm kind of liking like and just being willing to like go with it and oh yeah which is also you know a a very improv thing to do but I think Mm -hmm. just keeping your mind open to like there could be other story hooks here there could yeah. be other paths for for these players to take and just knowing when to pursue them but also maybe when to drop that thread and pick up mm-hmm. where you were yeah i think also like right hand in hand with that just like being able to yes and your players whatever they do yeah. hand in hand with that is also being like 
um, as a dungeon master, being able to just say whatever they decide they want to do and the way they want to approach this, you know, encounter, I'm going to say yes to it and then find a way to do it in the rules. Yeah. Or, you know, or not, or just do it and then let the rules come into play after. That it's always so much more exciting, I think, at the table to like let the narrative and let the players drive that action rather than being like, right. well, rules wise, you can't really do that because you're only level this and you don't have that thing yet. You know, it's just so much more fun to to let the players push things forward in those exciting ways. And that is like the way you you said that is just perfect. That there shouldn't you shouldn't let the rules dictate what what's the action what the action will be. So much as like, like you said, like find the rule that allows them to do the thing. And like you Mm -hmm. might have to fudge it or make it up or whatever. Mm -hmm. But just that's, yes, very liberating, very freeing. More fun for everybody. Mm -hmm. They may not succeed, right? But you're like, okay. That's that's fun too. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And when there is no rule, just make it up. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. So what, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Shania. No, I'm just like I, I'm inspired again because I've oh, okay. I've recently dipped my toe back into DMing. Ooh, I was very intimidated. I had a terrible experience, and I was oh. a terrible dungeon master. People mm. listening know that whole backstory, but now, like, I feel like I have this whole fresh new perspective now because nice. I'm like, I get it. I hear what you're saying. I, mm-hmm. but it's also like that just really clicked for me when you were. Because I'm always very worried about rules, and I'm going to mess up the rule. And Same. just hearing you Same. say, like, yeah. just find a rule that sort of works for what you yeah. want to do. Yes, I am free. Well, Thank you. What's nice, too, is that it, I also am blessed with players who know the rules really well and then also are, are willing to be like, okay, yeah, we'll do it that way instead. You know what I mean? Like, it, I think it can be harder if you have a table full of people who are like super rules lawyery and want to yes. like just do things by the book. That can be harder. But um, I know, I yeah, I feel very blessed. Like my D&D table, they, we collaborate, we work together. Yeah. Like if I forget some details, they can, they look it up for me or I'll look it up real quick and then we'll make a decision and I'll be like, no, let's actually do it this way or no, let, yeah, let's stick to that. That is the best. So it's nice to have that freedom. It is. Yeah. What do you do though when you don't have players like that? You mentioned like how you had a more rules lower lawyery uh, type of groups or things like that. You know, what? Uh, how do you yes and something that you're like, mm, I don't know if I really want to go <laughs> this type of game, right? Like I'd rather go more storytelling type of game that mm-hmm. that that is you know about the rule of cool and, and enjoying the moment. But you still have those you know two or three players. You're like, I just want to do this, and you're like, well, that's mm-hmm. a different game. Like how how do how would you uh, deal with that? There's two things that I have done. Uh, One is I have some just very rarely shut down things, but only in a context of like, well, literally like the timing isn't really working out in this moment because that person has already established that they're doing this. I know you want to do this, but like, I'm sorry, the moment has passed. It's kind of like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then the only other times that has happened where people want to take things in a direction that I think isn't what's best for the game or the group I have a little Jedi mind trick and it's still, you kind of still say yes, but as the DM, you're like, well, I know that I already set up this other part of the story or the location even, and someone else is going to walk in the door and pull them right back on track. Mm. That other thing the other players wanted to do, there's an NPC who's going to support them in that. So if, you know, 
if needed, I can always deus ex machina and just whoop. So like say yes to the, that other thing and maybe play it out briefly or like humor them and give them that satisfaction of like, okay, you wanted to try that out. Okay, let's, let's do it. But then I, I'm like, I make sure I have a thing that I can drop in that gets them back on track. And it could even just be a clue. Like uh, you, you actually notice that the mugs in your tavern right now, the bottoms of them have an etching on them and it relates back to that other thing that you were looking into, like just literally something to like draw them back in to what they were doing before so that they don't veer off too far. Good advice. Yeah, That's it's really similar good. to the uh, incident that happened with Shelly when she planned everything to the right and the characters went left. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was left. I didn't know. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, right. yeah, you can't like think of every that. God, could you imagine if then, then we would be computers? We would be video games mm-hmm. if we were mm-hmm. were like completely open worlding D anD D. That would be gnarly. It'd be amazing, but I don't think our human brains could actually no. handle that. But I also like. I mean, I could have just put what was right to the on left, the left, right? Because they don't know. Yeah, I, like, I just went into panic mode. Like, ah, frozen. Nothing You're to like, see here. <laughs> no, nope, you over. should really go right. <laughs> <laughs> you could have just, like, like you're uh, suggesting, uh, Aliza, you just could have had an NPC being like, you know what? That way is uh-huh, a lot better. Yeah. You might I saw do that. something back over there. I saw a dragon. <laughs> Did you know there's a dragon outside? Um, bag of money pieces. over there. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's like a t- <laughs> or, like, oh, you know what? Another little trick. Maybe it's not even a Jedi mind trick, but like, just be like, uh, go ahead and roll insight. <laughs> and then if they succeed, be like, like, you have a strong feeling that oh. the answers are to the right. You really should go right. Genius. <laughs> I love that for sure. Yeah. Excellent. I'm not afraid anymore. I almost <laughs> Yay! Because I just don't prepare now. Nice. Like that's that's exciting. A little bit. but Just, just like, jump in. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. My other... You mentioned playing with your, your niece and nephew. How old are, mm-hmm. are they? They're... Uh, she just turned 11 and he's 13. Okay. Because I or, really think. Yeah, 13. Is that about how old they were when you played with them? Uh, this was like in, when did we play? I guess it was two years ago. So no, they were a little younger. So yeah. that, that's like, for me, I think that's my sweet spot. I, I yeah. do think like playing with kids is the best for me because they, especially if they don't know the rules, then mm-hmm. I feel like I have complete freedom to just make things up and yeah, not worry yeah. about like what is this role like just keep having them roll dice and they'll be happy but mm-hmm. also it's like like what we were talking about earlier like just being a kid and being exposed to this game i think is just yeah. going to do wonders for mm-hmm. for them as adults and just for the rest of their childhood they get to have this experience yep yeah i've been like gently so when they were even younger i sent them like D&D starter sets mm-hmm. uh, through Amazon because they live on the other side of the country. Mm-hmm. And so I sent it to them and I was like, I want to like kind of prime them for D&D, but I don't want to push them into it because right. I want it to be something they choose to do. And so that was like four-ish years ago. And now every once in a while, like, yeah, we ran, we did a little session a couple of years ago on Zoom during the pandemic, like the height of the pandemic. And then... I actually saw them last weekend and I was like, so when I'm in town for Christmas, should we play some Mm -hmm. D&D? And and my niece was like, yeah, let's do that. I was like, yes, okay. Yeah. 
all of my prep has worked. I know. Yes. It's like I feel like I'm just like slowly un- unleashing my plan on them. I just I want them to love it, not because I'm like making them play. You know, I just want them to like to love it for themselves. That's the hard yeah. part, I think. For I mean, because you know, right. Shelly and I are work for the company, and so we definitely certainly have a lot of oh, D and stuff like all around. Right. But I don't want it to be like, all right, we got to play with dad now. Like I want dad's it to be work something. game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I want. You can't be too anxious, and because they like they'll sense that uh-huh. it's something you really totally. want them to do, and then they won't. Totally. Want to do it. Right? Yeah. So, so you yeah. do it the right way, I think, by just planting seeds. Casual, like, oh, seeds. just casual. Yeah, just thinking yeah. about some stuff we could do, like, over the holidays. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some D&D? If yeah. you want. It's cool. But I think that goes to, you know, what we were also talking about earlier, which was, like, how do we get more people in this audience, right? Because, you know, certainly mm-hmm. D&D is in a boom phase right now. Certainly people have been, like, playing it more and more than ever. Um, but there's always more kids coming up who I think can benefit from it and and, and Dungeon mm-hmm. Master too. Like I think there's yes. certainly tons of players out there but like getting people to understand that storytelling is is playing as well um, mm-hmm. is, is not always easy. Uh, especially for, you know, as you're saying, like, you know, uh, women and people of color who have for decades just not felt that warm embrace uh, of D&D. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on, on how to do that more beyond, you know, just getting your, your your nieces and nephew into playing. Right. Yeah. Well, I personally, I'm not quite at the point where I'm ready to do this, but I have been wanting to do some type of like D&D programs in schools and actually like have an after school D&D program at some place. Uh, I'm, I live in LA, so I would probably just start here, but also back where I'm from, which is Newark, New Jersey. Mm. That's basically that's my dream is to like start D and D programs at schools in Newark where I grew up because if that had existed, then I would have started playing twenty plus years earlier than I did, and I would love to yeah I would love to try to like help other kids have that chance to like find it early mm-hmm. and enjoy it earlier in their in their growth. Yeah. What benefits do you think it has for 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 kids at that age beyond the fun right beyond the fun of storytelling mm-hmm. like what, what what do you see it helping out development? Like what what would have changed in your life, you know, if you had had access to it? I think I wouldn't have been as afraid of writing Mm. as I was. I think I also would have done improv earlier Um, because both improv and writing are things that I now do as like part of my profession. I'm an actor and I've been hired professionally as both an improviser and as writer. And so those are like core parts of my creative and professional life right now. And I came to those things so late because I just wasn't really seeing examples, like you said before, like I wasn't really seeing examples of people like me doing those things. And I also didn't really know what they were in some cases. It just was, I think it was an exposure problem for me. I wasn't exposed to them until I moved to LA. And so uh, in terms of though how it would have changed me as well, I, I find my like dungeon mastering and GMing, I feel so empowered when I do it, and also I feel like such strong connection with my players. And I think having that as a younger, at a younger age, as a kid, as a teen, is super powerful. Especially if you're a kid who struggles in feeling empowered, mm-hmm. in feeling connected to your peers in, in meaningful, deep ways. Um, I think it'll, it could also combat against the other things that connect kids at those times. I remember like growing up in Newark, it was very materialistic, but also 
um, there was a lot of sadness and struggle and danger. It was like I grew up in the hood, and but then I also went to high school in the suburbs. So if you can think of those two experiences mm-hmm. as a bit stratified from each other, I had basically um, those childhood tropes. Uh, I had both of them, like of being in like the hood as a kid and in the suburbs as a teenager. And so in the hood, it was like there was like there were gangs. There was drug dealing. There was always the danger of you or one of your friends being like caught up in those types of things. Um, and then there's the the universal things that were like um, being part of the cool kids groups or being a nerd or being popular, um, having sex or not, dating or not, liking someone or not, things like that. And then in the suburban side... It was like, for me, as one of the only black and Latina people in an all-white, all-girls school, racism. (laughs) Uh, That was a big one (laughs) in high school. Um, There was also like a lot of material, like economic stratification. Like I was from a lower middle class family going to a school with upper middle class white girls. And so they were driving Land Rovers and giving each other (laughs) Tiffany bracelets for their birthdays. Oh, my God. It was just culture shock. Um, And it was also, yeah, it was hard sometimes to connect with with those people. So, yeah, anyway, those things uh, that are universal, I think, between those two experiences is connection. Yeah. Like the struggle to connect with other kids when it's not having to do with sex or materialistic things. It's like this is a way to connect with kids that's purely based on, like, creativity. Mm Mm-hmm. So the more chances kids have to do that, the better, I think, because it takes them out of those um, kind of competitive and struggle bussy connect- connection places. I, and I think yes. D&D does so well at not just providing those connections, those social connections that you're talking about, but also it, at its core, it's about people from different areas and different backgrounds, and different talent sets mm. working together on right. a, on a, on a right. goal. It's well, right? it's encouraged. You know, right. to to have that that diversity within your party. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like those Range Rover driving. I was we don't want to expletive. Yeah. Uh, should be playing. <laughs> should have been playing D anD D too, because they would have learned some empathy, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is one of. Uh, you're, I mean, you're totally speaking our language here, because Greg and I are both very passionate about kids and D anD D and introducing them to the game, at, you know, as part of their childhood and. What we've talked to a lot of of educators and people who do run after school programs and mm-hmm. the stories that we hear, like I will always like almost my eyes will well up just thinking about it. But like one that that we've heard recently is, you know, having 40, 50, 60 kids in an after school program, all from very different backgrounds, all kids that wouldn't probably interact with each other typically, but they come together, you know, and play D and D. And they're all mixing and mingling and, you know, it's like the breakfast club at every table and they're just like, there's there's actual legitimate friendships that are forming and they're bonding and you, their parents will come pick them up and look around the room and they're like, nobody's on a device. Mm. Every, like everybody, they're laughing, they're talking, they're, they're animated, they're standing mm-hmm. up and it's, you know, just by its collaborative nature, it's just... You you have to work together, and yeah. by doing that, I mean you've had those games where you've played together, and like 
you really do feel like you slayed a dragon. Like in real uh-huh. life, you wake up the next day and you're like, God, I feel good. <laughs> I did that. Oh, I yeah. I did this thing, you know, and it's just you can't help but take that into your real life. Absolutely. And you feel like forever bonded with people you play these games with. I absolutely like I will never so forget powerful. in my first group, the cleric took damage for my sorceress. Like just was like, that's mine. I was oh. I would have been I would have been knocked out. And he was like, actually, let me just step Aww. in front and take it. And I was like so touched. Mm-hmm. Like, you would do that for me? Like, oh my God. <laughs> and I like still love this person. He's still one of my mm-hmm. best friends because every time I see him, like, you took that damage for me. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Love him in real life because of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And 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 you mentioned other things that people do it during that time period, right? In high school, usually they're competitive in nature, right? And usually exactly. there's a lot of toxicity exactly. involved with sports uh, uh, and, and and that type of stuff. And I mean, I was a theater kid, so I had that kind of. I didn't. I wasn't playing a lot of D and D back then, but I had that kind of cooperative nature where mm-hmm. everybody was working on something together. We were taxed beyond what we should have probably <laughs> the responsibilities we should have had as kids. But it, that. You know, still, I have bonds with those people that I've had forever. Yeah, and if we had had same. D&D, it would have been, you know, just even more mm-hmm. so. You're, you know what? You're right. I was a theater kid, too. And so that was a thing that was, like, it was kind of competitive, competitive sometimes with casting. Right. But otherwise, like, once you're in the show and you're all working together to put it up, you're right. It was like a shared goal that was just took us away from all the BS of, of adolescence yeah. <laughs> and brought us together. So, yeah, yeah, similar to D&D. Yeah, and we want to just build those little D&D pockets uh, all over Everywhere. in schools. So that, Yes, that oh, happens. I love it. Yes, I love so it. So one of the other, like, kids obviously would love to see every kid being exposed to D&D. But, like, women, mm. I th- also think, like, more women should be playing Dungeons & Dragons. And it does mm-hmm. feel, I mean, we do recognize our audience is growing. We do see mm-hmm. more women coming in to the hobby, but... And I, you know, I think a lot of that is because you know, of streaming and like actually seeing more women playing the game and more yeah. women creators and more women out there talking about it. But for those women that are not already in the D and D ecosystem, like I have a lot of girlfriends that aren't that probably have never heard of Critical Role. They are not following D and D on Twitter, believe it or not. But so like mm-hmm. I don't. I always think of them like I know you guys would like this game. I know mm-hmm. you would. Like, what do you think about like how how would we, or like reach more more women mm-hmm. that maybe aren't already part of of this world and explain to them like this actually is just what we do naturally. We love each other. We love storytelling. We love doing things together, supporting one another. It's, you know, mm-hmm. how do we explain this? I mean, this kind of gives me a wacky idea. Okay. <laughs> Uh, because I just started watching, I watch a ton of TV. Uh, I'm an actor and I'm always like, okay, I might get an audition for this show or that show. So I try to watch a little of everything. And I just started watching Yellow Jackets. Have you all heard of this Somebody show? Somebody just uh, recommended this show to me. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but I will tell you the premise is there's, you're seeing these women in the past and they're in high school, speaking of high school. Mm-hmm. 
So there's one part of the cast that's like the high school age of these characters. And then the modern day part of the cast is like early 40s ladies who have grown up and it's now 25 years later after this event happened, which is that their plane crashed on their way to soccer championship, like national championships, and they had to survive for 19 months in the woods. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you're seeing the story be told in the present day, like how they're dealing with their lives now and some like mystery, like, oh, someone found out what happened in the woods and we can't tell anyone. There's a big secret they're keeping. Um, And then the past, you're seeing it unfold, what happened. Mm. And so it is, I think it's, uh, it might be described as a horror show. I'm not sure what genre it is, but it definitely has some horror elements. Definitely, um, yeah, I would say, I would say like strong horror tropes and elements here. But here's the thing. I think Yellow Jackets is unique because it is a thoroughly women-focused horror story about a team of people who are going through this thing together. So I think if we can get more media like that, Mm -hmm. like Yellow Jackets, um, and the wacky idea is what if we have a Yellow Jackets type show that is about some like housewives in Minnesota playing D&D. Like they're just like, I'm tired of book club. I'm tired of the wine of the month. Let's play D&D. And they just like start, and then they get real like super into D&D and start cosplaying and going to, maybe they get big like Critical Role. Okay, I want to write this now. Who wants to write this? (laughs) Yes, I do. All right, we're going to do it. (laughs) I love this. Yeah, the duality. But yeah, I think of, that's what of, it is. It's, I think it's media. I think yeah. more showing showing it, like literally saying, "Hey, thirty to fifty year old ladies, this is for you too." And yeah, um, and like you know, especially because I never really considered myself to be a fantasy fan before. Mm-hmm. I, but I don't think that I need that. You really need to be. To oh play yeah, Dungeons and, I like agree. you just need to like good stories, and yeah. that can look like. That can look like anything, but and also D and D. Thankfully, I mean D and D wasn't my entry point. D and D itself, my mm-hmm. entry point was other games like T- Star Trek Adventures was one entry point for me. So, but I ended up in D and D, so all roads like, are lead all roads there. lead to D and D. So if it's like, I also have an idea for doing, and if anyone wants to steal these ideas, it's fine. Just let me know and at me and give me a little like <laughs> no inspiration. <laughs> if if someone else gets to me, gets to it before me. I have too many like ideas. I I don't do them all, so I'd rather have it done <laughs> at some point. But um. But no, like if it's, hey, like friends from that I went to high, like so maybe if it's you and you're like, I want to run something for my high school friends, have it be like a real Housewives of Beverly Hills mm. TTRPG. No, you know, that is. Do D- it. Yes. Or it could be D&D, but it's just real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yes. 5E, you know. Well, and that, <laughs> there is a lot to be said with that. That actually is my dream. Like, I really do want to incorporate real Housewives. Me in, too. In okay. <laughs> Seriously, let's do, you do know, this. Do you know Christina Ariel? Yes. Okay, because that's we talk about this all the time. Like, we need to oh have the real Housewives of Freyroon. I really, oh I really want to do it that is, too. It is. It's going to happen. <sighs> okay. All right. Somehow, some way. Um. Now I now I just got so excited about that I don't remember what I was going. <laughs> oh no, you were gonna having, having like uh-huh. the familiar element. For, so for yes, those people exactly. that don't think like I'm not a fantasy person, I don't like dragons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who would who would say that? But uh, <laughs> but awesome. then like those are then you do like a real like well what's your favorite exactly. movie? Okay, so now we're gonna just role play your favorite movie and create, yeah. So 
Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's it. Right. Like use the media that's already out there, the formats that they're already accessing it, and turn it into the games. And then that's an entry point right there. Because there's no reason D&D can't be book club. Yep. You know, well, or, or poker night. It is like, yeah, for a lot of people. For right, a lot of people it is. But like a lot more you're already be. getting together. You're already mm-hmm. a group of, of, you know, whoever, women, men. But you're already mm-hmm. together. And you're already talking about stories and telling stories. And just might as well throw some dice while you're doing it. And yep. some white wine and some spritzers. I mean, um, right? Yeah, it helps. It helps everything. <laughs> um, but I, what you're saying, uh, the duality, I think, is the 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 secret sauce for for D and D media. I think it needs to show not only you know the women getting together and and being who they are as real people, but then also their you know their imagined selves or their imagined story and how those two interact. I think mm-hmm. is it's hard to pull off. You know, I think it would be really difficult, similar to the you know the 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 care that is being taken with that yellow jacket story you were talking right. about. But mm-hmm. to me, those because there's going to be things that happen in the game that will impact a relationship. There will be things mm-hmm. that happen in the relationships that will impact what happens in the game. And I think that's the core of what makes uh, tabletop role-playing so interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I, yeah, I just, like you, you know, like you, Shelly, I want more people to play this in general. Like it's it's really like cracked open my life and my creativity in a way that I couldn't have predicted. So, mm. like, share the D and D love, right? Let's I just, just spread the, it far and wide. The benefits are endless. It really does do a, a list of positive things for people. Like, it doesn't feel like work. Like when, like, even though mm-hmm. it technically is our jobs, but mm-hmm. it doesn't <laughs> feel like like we're shilling. Like you know, drink this coffee, buy this toothpaste. <laughs> like we're really believing that there are some really beautiful things that can happen when people are exposed to this game. It will mm-hmm. reduce your cholesterol levels. It will uh, get rid of the tartar on your teeth. We got tartar control. It'll lower your mortgage payments. <laughs> It'll cut your grass, pay your student loans. <laughs> lower your it, debt. It'll be your Roomba. It'll be your Alexa. It'll do everything. It will. No, it's talking to me. Uh <laughs> I, I, it's so funny because it does feel like we are just doing these like bullet points of like what makes this game so interesting. But it is, mm-hmm. it does all of these things and for different people at different times in their lives, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, you were mentioning the pandemic. I mean, how many people were able to embrace this game and connect with loved ones that they weren't able to connect with because they had this framework, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I do want to also, again, I got to shout out like, the women of color who have been in the space before me mm-hmm. in D&D specifically because it was me watching like Tanya DePass and Abria Iyengar getting I got I have played with Abria um at which she's wonderful at the table as we all know um but like getting to see her rise as a dungeon master and Christina watching Christina's amazing Mm. characters and just like and Jasmine Boulard and just like all these incredible women of color in the D&D space um I thank them like I I celebrate them and I I think they have really helped me feel empowered to enter the space more confidently Mm. um from player to game master to dungeon master I have them to thank for like helping me. They didn't know they were doing this, but they were giving me a little boost mm-hmm. by just showing me like, okay, it can be done. They're here. They're they're awesome. I can aspire to just like just be me in the space. I don't have to try to be something I'm not. I can just come as Aliza as I am. 
And now you're doing that for, for other folks who are watching you. And, I, and, I and can only hope so. <laughs> watching Lords of Faerun and getting into it and being like, wow, I can do storytelling uh, just like Aliza. Yep. Thanks for that. <laughs> you're doing it. Well, this is amazing. I love all the ideas. You are always full of them. And as you said, people can take them, run with them. <laughs> yeah. They'll be very different just from the know. way you would have done them. <laughs> Uh, Just let me know so I know not to work on it later. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to do double work. Except for the Real Housewives. Uh, well, let's, on. that yeah. one you let's really do, do that. need to work on. Yeah, and there could be multiple of that. I wouldn't mind. Well, like, we could have different franchises. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, make, it, like, it, it all works. And Christina it has some works. very good ideas. Ah, I love it. So I think even Greg would have to tune into that. <laughs> yes. You could play one of the husbands. Yeah, sure. you just have to stand there and be a and guest. Be dorky. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, uh, whose party are we going to? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hope nobody throws a glass of wine at me. I'm going to take out my sword and cut that glass in half as it's coming. <laughs> Savor it. <laughs> there can be fun. You got uh, it, see? In, in all types of frameworks. That's what I, I, I dig about D&D, right? Every story is different. Um, mm-hmm. So I want people to check out what you're doing, uh, Aliza. So what... Uh, uh, you, you mentioned Lords of Faerun, but what, what, how can people watch it and, and, and follow along with everything you're doing? Sure, yeah. So I post about all of my different games. Uh, you can find me at Aliza Pearl, A-L-I-Z-A Pearl, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, yeah, Lords of Faerun is Saturdays. On The Twitch channel is called Kira858, K-R-I-A. And let's see. I oh, and I finally did say yes to D and D in a castle, so I am oh. going to be <laughs> uh, next fall, fall twenty twenty two. I'm going to be running uh, a campaign and a couple of one shots, so people can sign up for that if they're so inclined. Um, but then also, yeah, I just I have a coffee page set up if people are looking for uh, a GM DM for hire. You can hire me or just watch my stuff. Play, but play your own games and have fun and go forth. Can't get better advice than that. I love no. all of it. Thanks so, so much for being on. This was, uh, Thank this was you. awesome. I think Thank I you. Got Very so inspiring. So lovely juices. to talk to you both. Yeah, <laughs> you too. What an amazing interview. I love Eliza so much and her creativity knows no bounds. She's amazing. Um, I I know that she did not discover D&D until adulthood, like myself. But yes. you know what? I'm so glad that she did discover it. And that's a great lesson for anyone. You are never, there's no age limit here with D&D. Absolutely D&D not. will find you when you're ready. That's right. And you will find it when you're ready. Even yes. myself. I, I loved it when I was a child, but I never got to play until I was like, I'm an adult now. I can do things and make my own decisions. And mm-hmm. you listening have done the same in some yes. way. yes. You have made your own decisions to play this game that we love and tell stories together. Hope you do it more so. If you want to point people to how they can get into the game, one of the best ways to do that is to go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. There will be tons of information there on uh, stories or uh, starter sets. You can even download the basic rules uh, for free. For free. We we don't uh, talk about that enough, but it is there. You can play. You don't have to spend a cent on Dungeons & Dragons. You can play it. it all. Try it, get all the stuff you need for playing with your family, with your friends, and jump in. Uh, if you want to follow along on social media, there's wizards underscore D&D on Twitter and Instagram. You can smash that like button on the Facebooks <laughs> if you're interested. Also, Dragon Plus uh, is available on your phone. Lots of wonderful back issues there with tons of great information 
on uh, products over the last few years. Check it out and get it on your phone. Sign up for the D&D newsletter. The link to that is here in the show notes. And if you want to follow me, I am at Greg Tito, at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And what about you, Shelly Moo? I'm at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. So come on, follow me. No idea where we're going, but it'll be fun. Let's go. Um, Another thing you reminded me, Greg, when you said the basic rules are free. Yeah. Um, So are character sheets. Character sheets, tons of them. You can just go onto our website and just pick your class and race and have fun. Download it and uh, play. And also there is um, also the play at home stay-at-home materials, lots mm. of free materials that are still available there because we're still at home. <laughs> we're still at and home. And we're still playing at home. Out. Yes. So yeah. um, lots of, and we even added a new um, adventure that was part of Ooh. the Essentials Kit that is, I believe you can get to if you go to the Essentials Kit product page on our website, but also in that play-at-home, stay-at-home um, materials. It's there as well. So if, just What's go stopping for it. That? Just, just go just do it. With all the dice rollers online, like you really don't need to buy anything. You can just be in pretend land forever. Greg, are we bad at our jobs? We are bad at our jobs. Because we just told people that. <laughs> no, I mean that's 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 been part of I think the magic of this game is that, you know, if you want the materials, you can get them, but yes. uh, you know, you really just need to be imaginative and have someone want to be the dungeon master like you, Shelley. Yes, and you know, it's we just really want more people playing. So however you get there is is great. It's true. Um, and uh, we mentioned this earlier uh, in the intros, but if you want to get into more about Aliza Pearl as well as Star Trek The Next Generation, follow at ReEngageTNG on Twitter uh, and uh, watch that entire series along with me and my friends. Um, and... It's been, it's been a great journey, and we're excited to do Season 3 uh, here. So take, check that out, and uh, there will be more podcasts coming from you, Shelley, right? Yes, me and another Tito. Another Tito. Your lovely wife. She is uh, a, a two broke moms. Wait, no, two old no. moms. Mm, yeah, if you would like to call her old. <laughs> I often do, and she loves it. I'm sure she does. It's one of her favorite Age things. is just a number, as my mom would say. That is true. Yeah. Um, and I think as that happens, we now need to go to Drunky Two-Shoes, who is very young in cat years as well my as lives. human years, below the garrulous grocer in Waterdeep. She's in a fracas with <laughs> several... Uh, doppelgangers, uh, who she has tracked to this area on the orders of Laryl Silverhand, the open lord of the city, who warned of doppelgangers infiltrating the secret lords of Waterdeep and taking over. Looks like they're starting here at this grocer and drunky Two-Shoes, the tabaxi, is there with Gerald Two-Shoes, her long-lost <sighs> brother, and Samson, a harper, uh, all the over harpers, and uh, a new set of guards had just shown up in the basement of the garrulous grocer, one of which you detected with your magic item, which let you see what are doppelgangers and what are not. Uh, the human guard, the new human guard, detects not as uh, sorry, detects as a doppelganger, 
according to you, and a tiefling dressed in guard uh, retinue uh, has been talking and does not believe necessarily that his partner is not who he says he is. And he has ordered all of you to put down your weapons before okay. he gets to the end of it. So this tiefling is there in front of you. Uh, he has um, a bluish red skin uh, and two horns uh, that curl backwards. They're very kind of neat in their appearance. Um, you know, with a helmet uh, oversized, you might not be able to tell that he has even uh, got horns. Uh, that's how... Uh, they are there, but otherwise he uh, looks at you sternly and says to put down your weapons. And I think Drunky had winked, uh huh, telling Samson Good. and Daryl to do so. And that's where we're at right now. So uh, they put down your weapons, and uh, uh, what do you do? I uh, don't have a weapon in my paws, so I put my paws up like this, and yeah. then I scream. Fire! And I use minor illusion to create a fire. Oh, okay. And it's behind. It's like where the those poor workers are. Okay, cowering in the back. So, ah, fire! Fire! Interesting. I am rolling to detect whether or not this tiefling guard uh, believes your illusion. Oh, really? You can do that? Yeah. <laughs> Shoot. Um, he rolled fairly medium. <laughs> uh, rolled a nine on the die. I'm trying to see what kind of wisdom uh, they would have. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's actually an intelligence investigation check. Because... Uh, and I'm going to say with it being... Uh, it doesn't have, well, it doesn't, it, it, it is, it is it just the image of a fire? Uh, yeah. But it's really very realistic. It's very realistic. Uh, all right. So he, uh, the, that tiefling looks behind you and says, we've got we've to evacuate immediately. Uh, everyone, up, uh, up, up, up this ladder. Quickly now. Uh, yes, workers. And I, uh, Drunky, I kind of put my arm out so Drunky and Samson don't go. And the other arm, I'm, I'm acting like I'm helping to escort those poor workers. Get them up there. Let's go. Let's go. I'll help. Let's go. You um, too. Except for you, tiefling man. Okay, Stay. so you start bringing up the, the, the halflings. And there are two um, doppelgangers uh, still on the ground as well as the other guard that came with um, but they're not doing anything. They're just kind of following along and going up the stairs, going uh, up the ladder. Wait, the tiefling doppelganger is no. The also- tiefling stay- no, okay, the tiefling good. guard is staying there. The human guard uh, that you detected as doppelganger is uh, he's 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 not giving anything away. He's just following the orders of his tiefling friend. Was he one of the ones that was on the ground? No, he was I mean, one of the newcomers. You got two on the ground uh, that you two- were fighting with. Two walking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I say to him. Wait, wait until everybody is out. The poor halflings. Uh, uh, <laughs> but we're all gonna die, right? Yeah, but we will die last. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So the halflings uh, take your cue and uh, start scrambling up. 
the okay. ladder. Um, and uh, the, the, the innocents are, are, are going away, but there are still the doppelgangers and the two yeah. guards left here. And we'll okay. pick it up next time with seeing now that there's less combatants or less uh, innocents down here, what, what, what happens now. Yeah. I, I absolutely have a plan. <laughs> that is Drunkie's motivation. For, and that's what Daryl says. He's like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Yes, Daryl. Yes. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm.